Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Yes, second service. There we go. You were right. You were right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, congratulations for making it to church in the midst of the holiday craziness. A lot of places you could be right now. You could be on vacation. Not that vacation's bad, but there's a lot of places you could be. There's NFL football on right now. It's supposed to rain. It's supposed to rain all day. God has pushed it back a little bit so we could get here without the rain. So double bonus points for everybody that's here. That's my point. Hey, before we get into the word, which I am excited to share, uh, I want to honor Tyler and Rachel for just a minute. We love to show up on Sunday and receive. We love it. There's so much good stuff that's going on here, and we're gaining so much from it, but we don't see what happens in between the Sundays, and they pour so much out. So I don't, I don't want to overcomplicate it. I, I just want to say a simple thank you from all of us here at Mission Church. Would you guys give them a round of applause? So let's stick with this theme of the holidays. I think every year, all of us, when we go into the holidays, we have a, a, a visual for what it's going to look like. Maybe it's because you're doing the same thing and you got traditions you're holding on to and, and that's great. Maybe it's something new. But regardless, you kind of have an idea of how things are going to go. But sometimes, despite our best intentions and our best plans, things don't always go according to plan. You know what I mean? Yeah, we had one of those moments at Thanksgiving this year. Great company, great spread of food, football, everything you would want on Thanksgiving. The turkey was in the oven. It's bronzing nicely, getting that crispy brown. The timer goes off. It's ready. The thermometer says it's ready. We take it out. We start carving it up. And then a little bit of a debate breaks out in the kitchen. Oh, boy. <laughs> See, we got some people that think the turkey looks perfect and we got some people that think that the turkey looks a little raw. You know, poultry, one of those things, don't mess around. So we did what any strong, good American family would do. He stuck that bird right in the microwave, <laughs> zapped it up, and we served, and it was delicious. So for all you turning your nose up, maybe because you deep fry or barbecue your turkey, take note. 2020 is going to be the year of the microwave for Thanksgiving. My mother-in-law was here for first service. She gave me a little talking after, after service. But you know, it's kind of a humorous example of when things don't go according to plan, but you know, there are other situations where it's not so funny, of where we, we kind of lose control. We, we, we plan for something to happen, but it turns out not the way that we had intended for it to go. It's this real unsettling, like unstable feeling that we get. The book of James talks about it well. He talks about trials that we face and what we should do to overcome those trials. But he gives a great visual of feeling unstable, of being like a wave in the sea and being tossed around by the wind. And it's perfect because doesn't it feel like that sometimes when we lose a little bit of that control, man? We love to be in control. And we have these, these, these feelings and experiences of anxiety and stress when these things start happening. But at the root of all of that is fear. And that's what we're doing today. I'm wearing leather on purpose. We're, we're getting after it. It's a big topic. It's an important topic. We, we all experience it. Some 
to bigger degrees than others, but fear is something that none of us are safe from. And so my prayer today is that just by understanding what fear is, that we'd be better equipped to fight it and prevent it. The answer is easy. It's Jesus. Doesn't feel so easy, though, does it? And so today, we're going to dive into fear. Before we do that, why don't we say a quick prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you amidst all the, the craziness just getting us here to church this morning, just so we could spend time with you. Lord, I want to ask that you would just speak truth to us this morning on such an important topic that we would hear from you and you alone. Lord, I pray that we would just have an opportunity to encounter your son this morning here in church. We pray for all these things in your son's name and everybody said, amen. Well, the title of the message, you ready? The title of the message is not today. Just like Hillsong tells us, let the devil know not today. Everyone say not today. Not today. today. Thought we start off by looking at some facts about fear. Now, Nationwide put out a survey last year that talked about the top phobias that all of Americans face. So let's take a look. I got a little bit of a slideshow for us. Number one, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it. It's fear of the number 13. Over 20 million people have a serious fear of the number 13. But there's good news. 80% of high-rises do not have a 13th floor. Just don't take the stairs and count because you'll find one. Elevator, though, there's no button for the 13th floor. That's the second one I can pronounce. It's arachnophobia. It's a fear of spiders. Over 17 million people have a serious fear of spiders, but the good news is only 12 of the 40,000 species can cause us serious harm. Remind Janine of that next time I get called in to deal with a spider issue in the house. Aerophobia is the fear of flying. Over 8 million people have a serious fear of flying. Next time you're in some heavy turbulence, Take comfort in the stat. You're more likely to become a pro athlete than be involved in a plane crash. <laughs> Not sure how helpful that would be, but. How about astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning? Over six and a half billion people have a serious fear of thunder and lightning. But there's a guy named Roy Sullivan who was a forest ranger who had the nickname the human lightning rod because he was struck by lightning seven times and yet he survived. I can't speak to Roy's brain cell count. But he survived. Number five, dentophobia. is a fear of going to the dentist. How many people in here, show of hands, have a fear of going to the dentist? This one doesn't bother me as much. I'm not saying I'd go to the dentist to hang out, but it's not necessarily the worst for me. And last on Nationwide's list was acrophobia, a fear of heights. Over 23.5 million people have a serious fear of of heights. This one I do get. You will not find me on a huge roller coaster. You won't find me bungee jumping. You will not find me skydiving. You might call that fear. I call it wisdom. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to add one of my own, number seven. I didn't even realize this was an official phobia, but it turns out it is. It's called decidophobia. It's the fear of making decisions. More specifically for me, it's the fear of making the wrong decision. The funny example here is that Janine and I play this game. I'm sure we're not the only ones. But what do you want to do for dinner game? What do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. 
What do you want to do for dinner? I don't care. You pick. No, you pick. Maybe that's more laziness than fear. But decidophobia is something that, that I struggle with. I just overanalyze. I just, I just don't want to make the wrong decision. And so I, I, I think about all the different outcomes, and I'm trying to figure out how to not make the wrong decision, and I just find myself not wanting to make any decision at all. It can be crippling. It can be paralyzing. A lot of fears can feel that way, where it just puts you in a state of just not wanting to do anything at all. We had a story that I'm going to share of us going through the process of moving. We're at the tail end of it now, and I call it a process because it has been a process. And, you know, the running joke is that no one likes to move. We've moved five times in ten years. This is it. No more moving in the Lucia household. And this one was complicated. Maybe practically because we just accumulated more stuff. Like, just practical reasons it was more complicated. But, you know, we're, we're deeper in our faith now than we've ever been. And so you would think that, well, we'd still be able to find the joy in moving. New beginnings, a new start, new memories, all these types of things. And yet we found ourselves losing a lot of the joy during this process and just being fixated on this fear. Are, so many variables. Are, 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 are we making the right decision? Are our motives in the right place? Is this the right place? Is this the wrong place? Is this the right timing? Is it the wrong timing? So many decisions. And so the, the prayer in our posture, we, we thought we had it right, which was we're going to seek guidance. We're going to pray Lord, open and close the doors only according to your will and not to our flesh. And there were closed doors along the way, and that made it worse. Maybe we shouldn't be moving at all. Just doors are closed. Little did we know those doors were closing, not because he wanted us to be filled with fear, but because he just had something better for us down the line. You see, we had to remind ourselves that we have this meter. I'm going to use this visual throughout the message. We have this meter all of us do. And this meter has two bars. And one bar is this worldly fear. And the other bar is our faith and trust in the Lord. And when your meter gets out of whack and your worldly fear starts to become greater than your faith and trust in the Lord, we find ourselves in these destructive situations. But we got out of it. We had to remind ourselves that, hey, we're covered. God, God's got our back. Doesn't mean we're going to make the wrong decisions all the time, but we got to start making decisions. We need to continue to, to walk forward and take steps and just know that even if we make a wrong decision, that's what grace and forgiveness and God's love is really for. Amen? So let's transition. Let, let, let's take a look at defining what fear really is and what it really looks like. Let's look at a common source, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, how it defines fear. The dictionary says, it's a noun and a verb, and it's described as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. It's synonymous with things like anxiety, horror, panic, and terror. The verb is to be afraid of, to fear the worst, and it's synonymous with things like fret, stress, trouble, worry, and even sweating. Probably not a big surprise. Do we agree? This is kind of what we think about when we think about fear, Yes? Perhaps a little more surprising, if you stay in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, there's other definitions for fear. Let's go ahead and put that up. It's a profound reverence and awe, especially toward God. 
to have reverential awe of God or to fear God. It's interesting and so confusing at the same time. How, how, how can you tell me that something that we know like fear that causes so much destruction can also be defined as having awe of God? There's such a stark contrast between the two definitions. It's almost as stark as lightness and darkness. You see, I think if we look at the source of where these definitions come from, we can kind of gain a better understanding. See, the enemy is serving up one type of fear, and God is serving up another, and they have two drastically different definitions. Let's go ahead and put up the next visual. I think we got to ask ourselves, what's the fruit? Whatever fear you're experiencing, what's the fruit that it produces in your life? This is the fear from the enemy, or fear of the world, or fear of man, or, or worldly fears that we experience. If you go down the list, depression, anxiety, greed, anger, lust, and hate, you can trace a route back to fear for every single one of them. See, this is what the enemy is offering for us to consume. And so if this is what the enemy is offering, then what is this concept of fear of the Lord? And what does he offer for us in place of what the enemy has? Because we know that the enemy likes to take things that are meant for good and twist them and pervert them and hide the truth from us. But the truth is so powerful. Fear of the God, fear of the Lord gives us these things. It says when we really operate in fear of the Lord that we can have joy instead of depression, that we can have peace instead of anxiety, that we can have goodness instead of greed, patience and gentleness instead of anger, faithfulness and self-control instead of lust and love and kindness instead of hate, and it's no coincidence that these are the fruit of the Spirit. It's such a stark contrast, and yet God offers up this fear of the Lord, but so many of us, I think, when we hear fear of the Lord, there's questions about, does that mean that we should be afraid that we're going to be punished by the Lord? Does that mean that we should walk around cowering, trying to hide from being struck by lightning with every decision that we make? we got to dive into this concept of fearing the Lord and really understand what it means because there's freedom in it, there's power in it, there's a lot that God has in store for us. Amen? All right, so let's look into God's word and see what he says about fear of the Lord. There's over 300 references in the Bible about fearing God. A lot of people's mind maybe goes to that's, that's all Old Testament stuff. Probably all of them are in Leviticus, the whole thing. It's in the New Testament. It's with the apostles and Jesus. It's a theme throughout the entire Bible. But let's start. I picked two. One Old Testament, one New Testament. Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now the context here is this is Moses and the Ten Commandments. Moses has just been 40 days and 40 nights up on the mountain, pleading to God not to wipe Israel off the face of the earth because of all the disobedience that has been going on. He's pleading, he's begging, he's praying. And God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save the people, I'm gonna salvage them. So he goes down from the mountain and he says, he's, Moses addressing the Israelites, says, I got good news, God's gonna spare you. But he has an ask in return. And here's what he says in verse 12, it says, and now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you? 
He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. But look at what he accompanies with this request to fear the Lord. He says, fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. It's interesting that this concept of fearing the Lord is then accompanied with living a holy life and loving God and serving him wholeheartedly. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? Doesn't sound like something that we should be trembling in fear over. Continues in verse 14, Moses says, look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love and he chose you, their descendants. Continues in verse 17, he says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God. See, fearing the Lord is trying to understand who he is. What Moses is pointing to the people is he's literally saying, and, and you gotta visualize this, he's saying, look around, look around. Everything that you see, the mountains, the valleys, the oceans, the plains, the trees, the flowers, all the nations, the stars, the sky, the moon, the sun, the heavens, it all belongs to the Lord. He is that powerful. He is that big. And yet, he chooses you as the object of his love. You gotta try to compute that. He's not, this is applicable to you and me right now. He is so big, he's the creator. He's the alpha and the omega. Everything you have in your life is from the Lord. Everything that you see is from the Lord and let he, yet he cares about little old me. How can that be? I don't deserve that. Well, you're right, you don't. That's where Jesus comes in. See this, it's like one plus one equals three. It, it, it doesn't compute in our minds. We, we, we're not capable of fully understanding how big and vast and great God is. But over time, we can, we can grow and we can gain wisdom and we can start understanding and we can start experiencing what God is all about. And so this fear of the Lord, starting to understand the wisdom of how big he is and how grand he is, and yet how good he is and how much he loves and cares about us puts us in a state of awe. That's what this whole concept of reverence is really about. This isn't a great analogy, but there's really no analogy that kind of stacks up to this, but I'm gonna use this anyway. I had the great opportunity to play Pebble Beach. Awesome. And I was nervous before I started. I was nervous for the first three or four holes. I was nervous just to step foot on the grounds because there's so much history. It's so beautiful. And this is a worldly example. But apply it back to your faith. This awe of God can leave you trembling in amazement and wonder just because you're trying to figure out how somebody so big and powerful could love us so much. Amen? Let's keep going. Let's, let's get into the New Testament. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. 
Verse 16 says, we know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. If you don't really know how much God loves you, it's kind of hard to put all of your trust there, isn't it? So I would challenge you to ask yourself that question. Do you really know how much God loves you? Do you really know? There's a difference between reading it and hearing it and agreeing with it and believing it. There's a difference with those things than experiencing God's love. It's got to be a prayer for all of us to have, not just today, but every day, that we're praying for ourselves and we're praying for everyone else around us, that they would have an encounter where they get to experience the true love of God. It'll change your life. It will absolutely change your life. You get this, you understand that this whole concept of being afraid of the Lord and being afraid of punishment isn't because... You're scared into loving the Lord. It's you experience his great wonder. You experience his great blessing. You experience his great love. And it fills every single void that you could ever possibly have. Maybe you've tried other things to fill those voids, but it hasn't worked. Man, the love of the Lord coincides with the fear of the Lord. Those two words don't seem like they should be compatible. You got fear and love in the same sentence. It depends how you define fear. If you're talking about the worldly fear, then you're right. Love and fear are not compatible. But when you have fear of the Lord, they're not just compatible, they're required. Let's keep going. It says, God is love. Those three words can stand all by themselves. Not only does God extend love to me and you, Not only does he want our love, he is love. It's the essence of who he is. God is love. And all who live in love, all who live a life of love, live in God, live in relationship with God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we're talking the sanctification process as we continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. We start making better and better decisions. We start being able to love more and more and forgive more and more. We experience God's love, and so we can love. Verse 17 says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Now, this concept of judgment day is an important one when we talk about fear of the Lord because I know one of the biggest misconceptions is that We need to be afraid, and so therefore we need to act right. Now, the context of this letter helps explain the meaning. The context of this letter is John's writing this to believers. He's writing this to the church. He's writing this to people that are saved. So what John's saying is, you can walk into confidence on Judgment Day with the Lord, knowing that your spot's already reserved You have a spot in eternity. It's there. You're saved through his son, Jesus. So you don't need to walk into judgment day overwhelmed with fear and punishment. God sees all. He is the ultimate judge. But when we understand this, we understand that with his love comes grace and forgiveness and mercy. Amen? Man, this this topic, I had... 
fear, I suffered from fear preparing for this topic because it's such a big one. I don't want to misrepresent it. But there's so much freedom in it when we can start understanding it. Let's look at what some people way smarter than me have to say on the topic. Let's take a look at theologian and a scholar. So Timothy Keller says this about trying to understand and explain fear of the Lord. He says, to fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and has done for us. It's good. You see the consistencies with the scripture and everything that we're talking about here. Timothy Keller summarizes it so well. Let's look at what William Eisenhower had to say. He's a professor at Fuller Seminary. He says this, Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. We know that. And yet he says this, As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. Gosh, that last part is good. Let's read it again. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. See, we marry the two. The wisdom is the beginning to understand who he is. And when we can start to try to start comprehending, it leads us deeper and deeper into his love and how vast and deep that it really is. And so you see, fearing the Lord is not something that we should be afraid of. It's a gift. It's a gift that we should embrace. Amen? Let's reset. We've looked at the definition of fear. We got two types of fear. We talked about the source of where these two types of fear come from. Let's get to the star of the show, Jesus. Let's see what he has to say about how we overcome fear. We're going to look at three stories, and I got three points, and then we're going to get you out of here. Point number one is this. Don't let fear block your breakthrough. Don't let fear block your breakthrough. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Now, Jesus and the disciples have just come across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And I'm going to paraphrase before we actually pick up the scripture. Jesus is going to heal a demon-possessed man. This, this, this guy's in bad shape. Jesus, they pull up. The man approaches Jesus. And this man is feared throughout the entire region. He cannot be chained. He cannot be shackled. He's cutting himself. He's a real threat to everybody that's in this society. And yet Jesus sees someone in there that needs to be saved. 
See, always see the goodness in all of us. So the man approaches Jesus and the demons beg Jesus. See that they show submission right away. They, they show that Jesus has authority. They say, please don't torment us. Please don't send us into the pit. And they say, please send us into the herd of pigs. And so Jesus tells them, go. And we pick it up in verse 34, and it says, When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. They were afraid because this man has a complete identity change. They're afraid because they don't know what to think that this man who had caused so much destruction was now sitting peacefully at the feet of this man named Jesus. It says, Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. They said, You think this is crazy? You should have seen how it went down. He took the demons out of the man and told him to go into the pigs. And then the pigs ran off a cliff and drowned in the water. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes came to Jesus' feet and asked him to perform miracles. No. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. Don't let fear block your breakthrough. Maybe there was more work to be done in that region of the Gerasenes. The people were overcome with fear. See, if you read some of the commentaries, it talks about the fact that there were as many as 2,000 pigs. And these pigs were livestock. It was wealth. It was material possessions. And maybe some people were fearful of the supernatural healing that had just taken place. And maybe others were afraid that this man Jesus was a threat to their worldly possessions. Remember our meter. Their meter was off. Their worldly fear was overpowering anything else. So important to call out is it that Jesus didn't want to perform any more miracles there? Is it that he wasn't willing or he wasn't able? No, of course not. What we have to understand is that when we're overcome with fear, we're not able to receive what Jesus has for us. They just weren't in a position to receive. But Jesus didn't leave him hanging. The man that he healed, he told, you wait behind. You go minister to these people. They can't receive it from me, but maybe they'll receive it from you. Don't let fear Block your breakthrough. Amen? Number two. This is a good one. Don't let fear steal your authority. Don't let fear steal your authority. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Now Jesus had just got done asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps forward and says, you're the Messiah. And he says, you're exactly right, Peter. That's divine wisdom that you got there. You're going to be blessed. And in verse 21, he says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him 
to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. What does Peter say? But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. I mean, no, it's probably not a wise to reprimand Jesus. Probably not something we should do. Peter couldn't help himself because he was overcome with fear. You see, Peter loved Jesus. It was a friend. He was the Messiah. He really had an immense amount of affection for Jesus, so he didn't want to lose a friend. But they got a great thing going on, too. I mean, they're just starting this, this great ministry. He's performing miracles. And how many of we, us can agree that there's worldly fear that Peter's dealing with? And what does Jesus do in response? Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now notice that he isn't rebuking Peter. Jesus goes right after the fear that's overcome Peter. He takes authority over that fear. You see, what, what Peter doesn't realize is that the enemy is trying to work through Peter to prevent Jesus from reaching his destiny and his calling, which is to go to the cross to save mankind. And Jesus says, not today. You need to apply this to your life. Your words are powerful, and it may seem weird, but I'm going to suggest the next time that you're faced with fear that you speak it out. You have the authority through Jesus to take control of fear and put it where it belongs, which is underneath your feet. Amen? Man, call it out. Jesus did. Next time you're faced with fear, just get after it. Get behind me, Satan. Not today. I'm coming for my calling. Get behind me, Satan. I'm coming for what the Lord has promised me. Get behind me, Satan. I'm coming for the identity that Jesus has for me. Oh, come on, man. This is good. You guys are looking like you're afraid. <laughs> Don't let fear steal your authority. You got it. Use it. I'd like the worship team to come on up. Point number three is don't let fear distract you from Jesus. I'm going to stay in Matthew. Don't let fear distract you from Jesus. Look at when Jesus walks on the water. Now they had just got done feeding 5,000 people, a big miracle in and of itself. And Jesus Tells the disciples, get in the boat and cross back to the other side of the lake. I'm going to go spend some time with the Lord. And so he goes and prays. Meanwhile, the disciples find themselves in some trouble out on the lake. Verse 24 says, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. Now what I want you to look at here is that they were far away from Jesus. Jesus was on the land. They're out in the middle of the lake. And yet Jesus knows that they're in trouble. You need to understand that in the, minute that, the moment that you're having fear, you're not alone. Jesus sees all. He knows all. And he is right there with you. 
You see, fear will want to convince you that you're isolated and you're all by yourself and you're helpless. And Jesus says, I'm right there with you in the midst of that fear. What does he tell the disciples? He spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Everything you need to overcome your fear is right here in me and I'm right here next to you. Just call out my name. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. He says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? You gotta picture it. They're in the middle of this lake with a big storm. It's chaos all around. Yet Peter finds himself locked into Jesus. He's got tunnel vision. His faith, remember his meter, his meter, his worldly fears, not even on the chart. His faith and trust in the Lord is off the charts and all he sees is Jesus. He says, Jesus, if it's you, call me and I'll come to you. And Jesus says, come on. So he steps out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. He's doing it. He's doing it. He's walking on the water. He's doing it. He's fixated on Jesus. He's doing it. But his meter gets out of whack. His meter. And he gets distracted from Jesus. He notices the chaos that's around him and he sinks. Can you give me the visual of Jesus? What's the visual of Jesus in this moment? Is he standing over Peter saying, you shouldn't have done that. You stay down there for a little while and think about what you've done. No, of course not. Look at the face of Jesus. There's a little smile. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's love. And it's an immediate, I got you, Peter. And he pulls him to safety. Our walk with Jesus. We're doing it. We're making good decisions. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're making good decisions. We're doing it. But our meter gets out of whack from time to time. Fear of the Lord brings you back. It gets your meter back in balance. We're doing it. We're on the walk. We get distracted. We fall. But we shout out to the one that can save us, the one that can forgive us, the one that can fill the void. His name is Jesus. Man, I hope today that we've come a long way in understanding what fear is and how it can impact our life. The bad type of fear, the good type of fear. What Jesus tells us about fear, the freedom that we have in that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.